Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the On The Button podcast. Today I'll be speaking to Steve Vinyl. He is the Global Communications Director at NASDAQ-listed Rackspace Technology. Amongst other things, we talk about the challenges of creating consistent global communication, the fantastic results he's seen from employee-generated content, and the recent changes to YouTube terms that mean you may see competitors advertising on your content. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe and share. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for joining me on our podcast today. Um, I've known you for a little while now, and I was really keen to get you on. I know that you've got some really interesting things to talk about today. I think, though, the best place to start is if you introduce yourself to our audience. Tell me a little bit about your role at Rackspace. Thank you, Simon. That's uh, quite an intro to live up to there. I hope <laughs> hope I don't disappoint. So um, I'm Steve Vinyl. I, um, I've kind of got a dual role at Rackspace Technology. So uh, part of my role and responsibility is looking after our EMEA communications program. So that's across Europe, Middle East and Africa. And largely that consists of internal communications, public relations, and then um, supporting in other areas such as customer communications, analyst relations, and so on. The other part of my role is uh, a global role, and I'm responsible for internal communications across the whole of Rackspace globally. So we have about uh, 7,000 employees uh, across three major regions. So it's making sure that we communicate to everyone, make sure they're um, clear on the strategy, uh, understand where we're heading as a business and trying to keep everyone engaged through um, through COVID and work through home and so on. Yeah, it must have been challenging over the last 12 months, I can only imagine. It would be good to hear a little bit, though, obviously, Rackspace is a big player in the technology sector, about what you think is maybe unique to your sector. What are the challenges that you face in communication being involved with such a such a huge tech company? In terms of obviously we're we're here talking about video. So if I if I was to focus on the, the content development and delivery side of the role. And again, I don't know if anything is particularly I'm gonna say is particularly unique to the tech sector, but it's certainly things that we're focusing on right now and, and uh you know, potential challenges that we're seeing. I think first of all, it's a very busy environment, you know. There's lots of lots of customer lots of companies after the the same share of a customer's wallet um and i think with, with covid you know the last year the, the tech space is very heavy on events very heavy on face-to-face and that's all diminished over you know that stopped overnight and so what we've seen is you know those those budgets that were going towards events and, and live communications are now generally being shifted more into the content space which is creating a very cluttered space and and therefore it's really important to be able to cut through and have clear content that that resonates with your audience and stands out against others when we look at audience i think another thing that we deal with and and i'm sure you know many business to business companies uh would agree with this is it's a different set of stakeholders that we need to communicate with so where we're talking about how we can help companies solve business challenges and how we can really drive value for companies, then we're we're talking to the C-suite, we're talking to CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, and so on. 
But then equally, we need to be able to communicate with those that are doing the work, whether they're the, you know, software developers, whether they're security engineers and so on. And so the ability to tell different stories to different audiences in the most efficient way is something that is challenging. And it's an area where video has, has definitely helped us being able to tell multiple stories from one piece of content. Then I think cost is is equally, you know, is a challenge. And again, amongst many of my peers, I know I don't know of anyone who's not had budgets cut over the last 12, 18 months. Again, this is a a, a point in time reference, but but companies are watching, you know, even companies that are doing really well through COVID and this pandemic seem to be very prudent about their about budgets because of the potential for a future recession uh, and just the un- general uncertainty that's going on. So budgets are coming under constant scrutiny and the need to prove to prove the value of those budgets, to prove a return on investment on those budgets is, is a really key thing in development of content. It's uh, an easy thing not to do, I think. And, and it's, it's often hard to see the impact of not putting out that one piece of content or not telling that one story. So it, that's something that I know people across the sector are feeling that just increased competition for budgets. Uh, and then I think the final one that, that kind of overlays everything is just we're, we're having to tell a complex story. You know, the nature of what we do is cutting edge. And so it's trying to tell that simplify a complicated story in a busy environment to a different audience with less budget than ever so that probably sums it sums it all together yeah so certainly challenging i mean we we ran a poll recently during one of our webinars and we asked people are you spending more on video this year the same or less and the majority was spending more now at the same time as you said most maybe are reducing their budgets overall why do you think maybe there's been a shift towards video if if you are having to tighten the belt why do you think people are concentrating generally more on video at the moment i think you know video will be there will be a number of things that come out of this you know horrific period that we've had um i think things like flexible working and all of those things that we all we all know and experience that that things would you know hopefully change forever for the better and i think use of video will be some you know video has really been able to prove itself through this period and and again i come back to how event heavy tech is the ability to reach that same audience through demand gen and and uh, marketing activity it's possible but when you look at the richness of video and the ability to you know, give the same messages that you would give face-to-face at an event, a keynote presentation, a sponsorship of a booth or so on, it video really plays into that space for me. It allows a richer conversation. So I think a lot you will have probably seen a lot of those money, that money that was going to be invested in events and live face-to-face be shifted towards video. So that's probably my personal experience at Rackspace. I'm sure lots of other companies are are doing the same. But having said that, you know, still looking for efficiencies and um, it's not as simple as, oh, we were going to spend this much over here. Let's spend it over here now. It's we were going to spend this over here. We don't need to anymore. 
is it worth spending it anywhere else? And that's where we're finding the need to compete for budgets. I guess with the maybe the traditional events, you you had a proven return on investment. You knew what to expect because you've been doing it a long time. So shifting that budget to video and maybe the unknown was, I guess, a bit of a gamble for some organisations. And so they had to kind of tread carefully. Definitely. I mean, it's easier. It's, you know, there, there's metrics you can take from an event. You can take badge scans. You can take leads. You can, you know, look in Salesforce and see how many people we've engaged with as a re- result of an investment in a an event and a physical presence. Yeah, it becomes a lot harder for lots of lots of my job in fact lots of the communications mix is notoriously hard to measure um so you need to be smart about doing it It, it's very possible to do but yeah it, it requires a lot of work to look at a piece of content in video and work back to that finding a lead and it has to go through, you know, the number of views is is one. It's great to know how many people have viewed something, but that means nothing alone. If you can then find out who has viewed it, uh, that becomes a lot more interesting. If you can then uh, find out what else that individual or that company has done following watching the video, then that's brilliant. If you then see them pop up in Salesforce, that then can begin to close the loop and and prove that, yeah, th- this this business we bought in we know that they've watched this we know they've read this we know that they've done this activity so that that's really where we need to get better i think as an industry in measurement and this when i say industry i mean a communications industry the ability to uh, really measure the impact of communications not just the communications itself it's something we did with Rackspace once and I remember we kind of we did exactly what you said we kind of measured it all the way through from a view into your CRM system but when again we did some research recently that showed 11% of people aren't measuring anything at all when it comes to video in my experience even when people intend to measure the effectiveness of video they tend not to and it strikes me that in other forms of media and other communications measurement is much more prevalent is that the case have you found that Sadly, no. I, I mean, I wish I wish I could say it was, but for me, measurement. There, there's not many communicators. I believe that your speedy that won't have some form of improving ability to measure as part of a their communication strategy. It's certainly easier in some fields, and you know, every every day, every month, there's a new piece of martech on the out there that will help the ability to measure i think overall the industry is getting better at measurement and proving value but yeah there there are still you know i I still do speak to people that don't have such a, a focus on measurement and i think it's we have to we have to measure we have to prove our value we have to to win our budgets we have to be able to show that yeah this piece of content delivered this back and yeah, sometimes we have to make a few leaps. We have to make assumptions that, well, if they did this or read this, they might have then done that. And that led to them coming through into Salesforce. So yeah, I mean, v- video is on the face of it, a, a very easy thing to measure on the top line. You know, video is social, you can see the number of views, you can see the level of engagement with it. And so, but but we can't stop there. We can't say, yeah, a million people saw this video, so it was successful. A million people might have seen it and hated it. But then when you get 
you get things like the length on the video. Did they watch the whole thing? I mean, we recently, one of our, our best pieces of social content recently actually started as an internal video that we made. And it was about, um, you know, celebrating our, our employees that had come in into the front line throughout the COVID pandemic. And that performed brilliantly internally, but it performed brilliantly externally as well. And, you know, the, the one of the measurements I have on that is actually the, the amount of people that watched the whole thing. Uh, and we were in the high 90% of people who started that video and finished it. For me, that's a, that's a real key of success on a piece of content. Now it means nothing to the bottom line. It means nothing to business, but it, you know, there's, there's a, a meaningful measurement that if I was to, to try and get budget to do a piece of content like that, again, that would certainly help. Uh, saying that a lot of people watched it and they watched the whole thing and, and they engage highly with it. It's then trying to get to that, to the next stage of, and then they did this. And and that's the really hard thing to measure. Yeah, absolutely. I guess to a certain extent, it's down to the, the video agency, if you're working with one that you're working with to help you with that and to push uh, push clients on that to um, so they're maybe more aware of what is uh, possible. I think that audience retention thing is a really strong one. And what I have found is that content that works well internally does tend to work well externally as well. And so uh, we've done, we've created content something like that similarly in the past. I wanted to talk to you, I don't know if you're aware of this, but YouTube have changed their terms and conditions. They, um, they're now saying that if you have a YouTube channel and you want a partner, so that means uh, fewer than a thousand subscribers and fewer than 4,000 hours of listen time each year, that they can advertise on your content without your permission. Um, and others can basically monetize your film. So that potentially means a big organization like Rackspace Technology or whoever, having YouTube content embedded on their website are then competitors even appearing on their website through ads. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard about that. And, um, you know, it'd be good to either way to get your initial thoughts on what that might mean for for people using YouTube and whether you think it's a good idea or not. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, I had I had heard of it. Um, certainly the headlines look, I guess it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me one piece. I, I, I think, yeah, it's it's a huge risk, you know, not knowing what's going to appear before, during or after your your video on YouTube is, is a big risk. And yeah, I remember even going way back, way back when working in more traditional media with print. I remember once I had, we had a, a billboard that was put up and then a competing brand was, you know, three banners down from it and me getting shouted at by a very angry head of marketing because of that. And, you know, that's that's just unmanageable. Um, but it's always been the case. Now, things like the more digital, in a digital world, this can definitely be avoided. But with changes like this, it, it can't at all. And, and so that... That is going to can be damaging for for budgets and brands. That if if that happens, it, it just adds another layer of risk into an already you know seemingly risky form of spend because it's so unmeasurable that it might be another reason for people to stop doing it. I mean, it, it just but you have to think with with all of these you know the, the big brands that we all know these big social media networks where is it going to stop there's been increasing backlash from facebook as we've all seen play out 
So you just wonder how long they can maintain this this kind of seeming monopoly while keep overlaying these these things that that are frustrating and and irritating users. I mean, I I can't see YouTube going any anywhere soon, but you know things change and things change fast, and it could take another another platform with a better monetization method to come along and people start using that and who knows where we'll be in you know five ten years i think it's you know it's it's kind of fair enough and that youtube are providing a free service you know and a lot of big organizations use this you embed with youtube or whatever and they aren't paying for it so um i mean youtube make billions through advertising right so i don't feel sorry for them by, by any stretch but certainly it was kind of inevitable and maybe that will get to a point where they'll charge you the that the channel owner to remove those ads that might be the way it goes we'll wait and see mm. the other thing i wanted to talk to you about was around the you, you touched on it earlier actually about you know obviously you've got a global role and through the pandemic things have changed significantly what we found is we're working with a number of clients now where we'd worked with their, their team in the uk but now we're able to work with them you know, worldwide, and we can we can film interviews with people all over the world on the same day and cut all that together into one film. You know, is that have you seen that across? You know, certainly across video and other other forms of media. Um, and is it has it made your life easier or more difficult? Certainly, the feedback I've had from clients is they're able to pick the agency they prefer most now and work with them globally. For example, yeah, it, I mean, it comes back to the, to the point I made earlier. It's been this whole experience that we we've been through and and many are still going through uh has just been a great leveler for so many things you know even something like you know i i have um you know i work in a in a truly global team so we have people all around the world and you know often it could feel very us centric or very london centric where you have eight people in a room in london and four in the US and then a couple of individuals around the world. Now, now everyone is in this exactly the same place. So we still have to compete with time zones. But other than that, the ability to work globally, I think in certainly things like video production has, has really, really helped and means that you can create consistency and economies by using one production company by using one provider to do multiple things in multiple regions so yeah it's you know i'm the the shift to more remote working has has made so much so many parts of my job easier and and the bits that haven't been easier are kind of have become really exciting how do we you know communicate with seven thousand people around the world when when 99 percent of them are working from home how do we how do we get pr without traveling into london and, and meeting with journalists and so on so um i think it's definitely helped our ability to create video and i have to have to give a plug to, to your team here simon but some of the um you know the, the work that you do um on our, our customer advocacy program and we have to give Catherine state a shout out here as well that would be <laughs> remiss not to not to mention Absolutely. her name here um but the work you've been doing you've you did with Catherine on our customer program was, was excellent work. And, but it involved a lot of face-to-face It involved traveling somewhere, meeting with a customer and filming them telling the Rackspace story. Now we, you shifted that almost seamlessly to a zoom solution. And 
the outcome is as impactful and as engaging, in my opinion, as it was. You know, we're still able to get the feel of what it's like to be in that company's work thrice through cutaway shots and so on. But actually, the thing that people are tuning in for is the story and the message, and, and that comes across brilliantly on Zoom. So I think uh, that's a great example of how, you know, it shouldn't limit us at all think challenges like this it just means we need to get creative we need to think a bit differently about how we how we approach creating content and you know it's actually if you think of it it's actually been a lot more efficient way of doing it i'd actually be interested in turning that question around on you and seeing how what your experience have been has been kind of filming stuff via Zoom like this. But from our point of view, we're not sending people out for one, two days on a shoot. We're not paying for, I presume you to, you know, take all your kit and, and equipment out there. So it's, it's felt easier from our side to create like that. I mean, it's not something we want to do forever, but I think there will always be a place for this going forward. But what's your experience being like? Well, I was due to fly to Dubai uh, the week uh, before <laughs> lockdown for Rackspace, actually, to do some filming over there. So it's not all good news. But um, apart not from good, that, no. Uh, no, and sadly that got uh, got cancelled. But um, certainly for, from our perspective, we've been able to make our the work that we're doing around customer advocacy so much more diverse by including people, like I say, from all over the world, and maybe people that wouldn't have had the time. You know, we can spend 45 minutes on a Zoom call or, or Riverside call now uh, without having to send a film crew and all of the, you know, we try to cause the least amount of disruption as possible on location, but inevitably it's a bigger deal sending a film crew uh, and organizing all of the logistics around that than it is organizing a Zoom call. There are obviously always technical issues. I mean, I'm lucky you've got a great microphone there, but until we get on and do those prep calls, we're not quite sure what the technology is going to be uh, on the other side of that call. Um, and so there we don't get the consistency and quality. And certainly I like looking at a 4K picture. <laughs> um, but like you said, I totally agree. The story is the most important part. And as long as we can relax people on those calls, and, and like I said, our directors were experienced in just spending time ahead of that call as well, just getting to know people and having a chat with them so that hopefully when they are online, we do we are able to pull out those, those, key, those key messages and, and cut it together. Um, and certainly for our clients, it's proving very popular. We, you know, although I guess the downside is everyone's expecting things so much more quickly now that we don't have to uh, to have a film crew out there. Uh, does that all? Does that answer your question? Does that make sense? Does that does that reflect your experience from a customer side? I think so. Yeah. Look, you, I, I guess the the one thing you brought up there that is more challenging but definitely surmountable is the chemistry piece. One, you know, for me. That's probably one of the most important aspects of film production. And it might, I don't know, that may surprise you slightly, but the ability for someone to come along and meet with a variety of people they've never met before and potentially busy people and potentially people that it's not a skill of theirs to appear on camera and talk naturally and the ability to get them in a position where they're able to sit there and, and talk to a video camera in a relaxed way is, is a challenge to do. And I think that's often underlooked when people look into choosing a video production agency, they may, um, you know, look at who's got the best kit or who's got the biggest customers, but actually it's actually who, who can, who can I sit in front of my CEO and, know that they'll make them feel at ease within five, 10 minutes before they hit record. 
and that's something that I think you guys do very well. And I think that, you know, that is harder to do over Zoom, but I, I don't necessarily think so. I don't totally buy, you know, a lot of people say that Zoom is so limited or, or video conferencing is limited, but I do every everything I need to do you know looking into this computer and whether that is meetings in front of three and a half thousand people presenting to them whether that is one-to-ones whether that is you know getting drunk with friends we've been doing that a lot on zoom and and it i think it it just it works and so i think you know there is the ability to to build up that chemistry and how many i mean how many people have joined a company you know how many people have moved roles in the last 18 months and never set foot in the premises and never met anybody face to face. I mean, probably a third of the people I'm working with right now have have done that and come in post pandemic and we've never met them. I mean, I totally agree. The chemistry thing was something that, you know, mentioned Catherine again, that she, she always complimented us on that we were able to kind of go in. And actually I I did it with you when I, before we started recording, we were talking about your amazing home office that you've got set up there and just having that conversation with people and trying to find common interests and those kinds of things are really important and it is harder when you're not having a coffee in the office talking about where you're going to film and all that kind of stuff you know that's where it's it's kind of straight down to business a lot of the time on on zoom um and and so it is a little bit more difficult but as you've said that's where working with with a good agency preferably us um see what i did there steve it was salt, wasn't it <laughs> it's so important okay well we're running out of time i'm just gonna i've got one or two more questions if that's okay with you of course yeah. you've, you've raised some really interesting points there you you obviously you've talked about some of this already but are there any other top tips you'd give to to communicators who are trying to stand out because one of the biggest problems people have is it is competitive everyone's using video what is it that makes your video the video content you're most proud of and that has been most effective, maybe. What is it about that content that really stands out? Nice, easy question for you there. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think my my head immediately goes to the stuff that we've done with employees. And, and you know, this is going back across the last two and three, two or three companies I work with. You know, not many companies don't have amazing people working for them. Absolutely. So forget the the day job. Just you have people that have amazing and interesting and diverse lives out of work. And and I think some of the people generated content that we've that you know I've been involved in in delivering over the past I don't know ten or so years. They're they're still some of the things that I feel proudest of. Yeah, certainly UGC and EGC employee generated content is something that we've seen rise significantly over the last 12 months, as you can imagine. I think there's a number of benefits. Obviously, you know, culture is so important to our space technology. It always has been, right? Um, and you can capture that in a way that you can't um, through maybe a, a more formal interview with a member of the executive. But the other side of it is, I guess, it's more credible and believable to peers so um, that's brilliant thank you for, for raising that my last question is around the future um predictably what uh, what excites you most about the future particularly around around video have you got any plans yet are you you know i guess it's things are still very much up in the air with the pandemic but uh, what, uh, what are you thinking i'm i'm we've talked about how good you know it, it, the the shift has been to virtual and remote and um it's more efficient filming 
locally and so on i'm i'm excited to to get on a location at some point in the future and see people and actually do filming so i'm i'm, I'm doing everything i said there but this is just as a <laughs> as a preference not as a as an end result but it, it will be good just well the thing we found though when we were filming and a member of the Rackspace team came along it's a great opportunity to just have a chat with your clients that maybe you wouldn't have arranged a, a kind of meeting for and you maybe have a conversation you wouldn't have had normally. So I think we're missing that, aren't we? If we, if we, um, yeah, if we give Catherine another shout out on this podcast, most people who don't know, <laughs> Catherine will not know what the hell we're talking about, but Catherine is someone who, um, she worked closely with you and led our customer advocacy program. She's now moved on to a, another brilliant role. But um, on that, on that note of the face-to-face piece, the, the relationships that she built with our top strategic customers at the very top level through the customer advocacy program, which was largely led around video, were incredible and long lasting, you know, so and, and that did come from the prep meeting. It, it came from the time it came from coaching these leaders of, of how to how to, you know, deliver in a format like video, but then it came to the shoots and sitting around having a cup of coffee while you're waiting for setup and all that stuff. That's where you, you actually build some strong relationships. And we have seen so much business value from those relationships that, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, given us entry at the very top level of these companies, which, you know, a lot of sellers or customer uh, services representatives would dream of. And, and she kind of, managed to get that access through doing through doing video production so i, I would say that um you know it, it is it's nice but it is very very valuable as well and again back to that earlier point i'm not saying that can't be done remotely but it's often those those cups of coffee between takes and so on that that help build relationships so that's that's definitely something i'm looking forward to i think something that will be interest that does interest me is uh, it's a growth of virtual reality. Now, I think there needs to be some more product development. I don't think we're there yet, but I, it's not unconceivable to see a world in five years where everyone has a virtual reality headset or you don't need a virtual reality headset. You know, virtual reality is here to stay and will become more, the barriers to entry for average everyday users like myself are going to diminish yeah absolutely and um, we, we've done a couple of 360 films and kind of immersive vr content and it it's still you know and we did that a couple of years ago and the technology is almost there and when you when you put that headset on and you do immerse yourself it is incredible um but there's still some barriers like you say whether it's cost or you know there's some people that maybe feel nauseous when they use these systems and i'm sure they're going to come up with ways to kind of combat that as we move forward because actually if we are going to be meeting virtually what better way than using headsets so you feel like you're really there i mean it's it's pretty cool um brilliant okay well i'll look forward to that as well steve um maybe we'll meet virtually through some kind of 360 we'll play tennis or something like that at some point with an oculus. in fact i do i have been playing table tennis with my brother on oculus <laughs> he lives four hours no away way. from me but on a regular okay we'll just we'll just go on and, and the table tennis is a side note but it's just you know 
we'll, we'll do that and it seems to give a bit more purpose than just jumping on the phone and having a chat so yeah i'll um i will not only play you at virtual table tennis but i'll beat you <laughs> oh challenge accepted <laughs> great thanks so much for your time steve i know how busy you are so i really appreciate you sparing the time to talk to me listen i really appreciate you having me on here love this podcast um and look, am i allowed to give a plug for big button at the end of it oh absolutely this this is one bit I know won't get edited out. I'm sure. No, um, huge huge fan of Big Big Button. Uh, everything you do for us is seamless, brilliant. Wish we had more budget to spend with you, uh, but yeah, great video production agency. If anyone's listening to this and not sure whether to use them, I can definitely vouch for the team and would be happy to chat if anyone's got any questions. Oh, thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day, and hopefully, I get to speak to you again soon. Thanks, Simon. Thank you so much for listening to the On The Button podcast. It's brought to you by Big Button. Big Button is a strategic video agency. You can find out more about our work at bigbutton.tv. I hope you can join us next time.